Welcome to Birth Mystics with your hosts, Katie and Stephanie. So I'm really excited about today because we're going to talk a little more about kind of our businesses and it's fun that both of our businesses are both grounded in kind of mythology or um, etymology. Etymology. <laughs> yes. Look at us. Um, so my, my website and my brand is called Freya Birth. Um, for those of you who don't know, I'll do a little introduction. Freya is actually a goddess pretty much the goddess from Norse mythology and Norse are like the Vikings. When I was younger, I had a huge obsession with mythology. I, we played a lot of games in my family and like imagination stuff. Cause I had a lot of siblings would run around. We did like Percy Jackson. I read a bunch of different books. My parents are book collectors and they had like these old big leather bound Greek myths. And hmm. I remember reading through them and thinking they were so fascinating and loving, just like the idea of these gods who had superpowers, but they were also so human and so relatable. Um, and like, of course, teenage me thought all of the like weird sexual stuff was also just kind of like naughty and fascinating too. So <laughs> totally. <laughs> so that's a little more of me. And I have kind of carried that through, but I never really connected with Norse mythology when I was younger. My brother was obsessed with dw- like dwarven Norse, all that stuff. And I always thought like, I don't know, like it wasn't interesting to me for some reason. I didn't really connect with those. I was a lot more into like the Roman and the Greek. I liked Athena and like Mm -hmm. the idea of like Hercules and all these stories of like the humans and the half gods. I thought Greek mythology was way better. (laughs) So we kind of had our fun little rivalry thing where we would, we'd just be like, mine's better. And, um, so going into creating my business, I just struggled with trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I remembered that there had been this company, um, in Germany where they had been called uh, Freya, Freya Geburt und Hebammen. So there were these midwives who had Freya as their name. And I thought, that's a beautiful word. And I know that's a god. So let me dive into that. So I dove into the mythology of Freya and just was so pleased with myself that I had (laughs) dove in at all. And it was so fun to me to read into it and just to realize that she, I think I had not dove into it before because there is so little to be found in some ways. So Norse mythology is very fragmented. It's ancient. And a lot of the Vikings, because they were very nomadic and they were torn apart essentially when they tried to explore too far and Mm. we don't have a lot of their history. They didn't write a lot down. A lot Mm. of it was word of mouth. So we don't have a ton of like actual evidence. Whereas the Greeks and the Romans, they were, they wrote things on stones. They had, they had a lot of like written um, history that they passed along. So we have like exact stories from a lot of that. So the Vikings, what's kind of beautiful about it is this mystery. So you have these gods that we know existed. We have Odin, we have Thor, um, and we know what they were and kind of what they represented. But there's a lot of little stories and characters that aren't as clear. And it feels as though Freya is kind of the most shrouded in mystery. Hmm. Um, Did you know that about Norse mythology? No, I'm learning a lot. Just listening. (laughs) Keep going. Okay, good. Um, so leaving open to interpretation, there are a lot of different things you'll hear and you'll hear the most diverse things about Freya. Hmm. Um, there are some stories that will paint her as this seductress and compare her to Aphrodite. There are other stories that paint her as this ruthless warrior goddess of war and paint her as this cutthroat version of like Athena, but, but harder, right? 
And then there's these stories that will paint her as like this mischievous who's always trying to ruin all the men's plans, like always just has her right. own like her own um, intrigue going on, kind of yes. this like this underhanded kind of the manipulator. Mm-hmm. Okay, so some painter is like this mischievous okay. person. And then some painter is this kind of wild woman, like this unattainable thing. Like all the stories agree that she rode a chariot that was carried by cats. I don't know if you knew that. No. I'm a cat person. So I that knew was the chariot. Little... I just assumed it was horses. No, she was carried <laughs> by giant cats. Wow. We're talking like cheetahs or lions no, no. or something. House or cats. They like were house cats. cats. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Like I imagine them being like a, um, what is that giant house cat? The... But just a big I'm just thinking cat. like the Cheshire cat because they're big, <laughs> but there's probably bigger ones than that. Oh, yes. That would be perfect. Freya carried by two Cheshire cats. <laughs> they can't be pink, though. They have to be like Viking. Yeah, I would agree with furry that. Furry and yeah. a little savage. That is um, wild because were they tamed cats? Like, were they, I don't know. Can you like Shrouded pet mystery. Cat? Okay. I don't know. Maybe Nobody Freya knows. can, nobody else. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure they were like. Her protectors. I can see her lounging on a throne with like the cats purring around. Yeah. And if you messed with her, they'd mess with you. That's right. I like she it. She had them trained. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. So there's what all these little things. Isn't that a cool visual? Yeah. But essentially what I love about that is for me, it was cool to say that there's kind of this multifaceted part of women that in many ways, because it's interpreted mostly by men, and well, like this is kind of a patriarchy rant here, but she's painted in these negative lights, right? Where it's the seductress, where if you're a sexual woman, you're automatically this seductress, like someone trying to lead yep. men astray. Or you're painted as this, like you said, manipulator who's trying to use her feminine wiles to control, to control be underhanded, and get what you want or mess up the men's plans. And then you have her as like the warrior, which makes her so cold hearted and um, this conqueror woman, or and all these different sides that felt so negative. But if you take a step back and look at them, and I don't know if anyone's ever read the book, um, what's the Wild One book that I just read? I Are you talking Glennon Doyle? No, like when... Untamed? Oh, Women Who Run With the women Wolves. Women Who Run With the Wolves. Clarissa Pinkola Estes. Yes. I'm a big fan. Yes. yes. So I read that book, and that kind of reminded me that, like, a lot of the times when we look back at mythology, we look through it in this lens of the storyteller, and the storyteller is often male because they were the historians. They were the people telling the stories. So we can look back at Frey, and for me, it reminds me that women are allowed to be multifaceted. Yes. We're allowed to be sensual without being seductive or without being, and you can be seductive in your way without it being a negative characteristic. We're allowed Mm. to embody our sensuality. We're allowed to embody our anger. Be the warrior. We're allowed to embody it. We're allowed to embody our, not manipulation, but our our craftiness, our cleverness. How to solve problems and get things done. Yeah, and right? then standing up for yourself and not allowing everyone else's plans to dictate your life and taking initiative. Yeah. We're allowed to be all of those things. And that was one of my really, as I dove into Freya, that spoke to me so much because I feel as though that's one of the lessons that birth taught me. You mentioned last week feeling like you had been very separate from your femininity in some ways. And that mm-hmm. birth kind of through years helped you to reconnect with that. And I connect with that a lot because I think I painted femininity as a thing that was weak. 
Um, and I didn't often get complimented on things that felt feminine. Um, I was called like bossy a lot and mm-hmm. but also strong. Like people tell me how tough I was. Well, you're tough for a girl or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I think I embodied a lot of those messages, messages and just thought to myself, well, I'm just not very feminine. Mm-hmm. I'm just a more masculine type of woman and really dove into that side of it. And I think I disconnected from my body a lot and maybe not as safety, but as, as an identity, it was like, this is, I live in my mind because I'm, that's where I'm strong. That's where I have control. Yeah. And that's where I feel safe, um, is kind of in that strength that I know I have that I thought was in contrast to my femininity or because I am it, I cannot also be feminine. Well, Freya tells us otherwise, because apparently she had a very powerful masculine side. That's like her warrior, right? Mm -hmm. But then she could also be very cockatish and feminine. And Mm -hmm. that's really powerful to recognize it's not one or the other, but like maybe different situations in life require different parts of ourselves and that I can show up differently to different situations and still be me, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. It reminds me that there maybe are facets of myself that I'm not allowing because I think it is in contrast to or a paradox of things I want to embody yeah. and reminding myself that I'm allowed to be those different things Yeah. and exploring that for myself. So it's always a message to me what I want to, how I want to live. And it's still a journey I'm on. <laughs> aren't, aren't well. um, I still don't know how, how much I feel connected to my femininity, but it's definitely a lot more than it was through my birth journeys and through all of the things that I'm learning. So this is, we are very much process people. We don't believe in arrival. <laughs> yeah. We believe matters. in, <laughs> yes, the journey matters. There, there's a difference between acceptance. You can accept that you are currently worthy and accept that where you are at is good and who you are is good, but also never feel like you've fully arrived at and you could sit and be at peace. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or you can sit and be at peace, but that you sit and no longer strive for, for growth. Mm-hmm. Um, but to move back to Freya, there are some things. Oh, did you want to add anything to that? I think you're probably going to go there. So I'm going to wait and see what you're about to say. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Because I have more thoughts. Okay. So the one thing that they do all agree about um, for Freya is what she, kind of what she was goddess of. And that was fertility, love, war, magic, and death. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm giggling because you just described birth. I think those are all the adjectives of birth. Isn't it though? Fertility, war, death. What was love, the other one? Love, magic, magic. <gasps> That's so, it's, so cool. Isn't to that me. so cool? Yes. I love that. It's kind of the full spectrum of creation. Yes. There's only one woman goddess, and you think like Thor is the god of thunder. Like, who Ooh, cares about thunder? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sure, he rides in lightning. And it looks cool, and he's a big buff dude. But like, compared to. Fertility, love, war, magic, and death. Gosh, that's such a spectrum. Yeah, they all they all agree that she was the most powerful in the Viking magic hmm. as one of the only women in Norse mythology. She yeah. had that entire spectrum belonged to her, which for me is, like you said, the spectrum of creation mm-hmm. or the spectrum of birth. Yeah. And it carries so many paradoxes within it. Because you have fertility and death. That's yin and yang. Yes. That's the creation and the destruction. Absolutely. And then love, love and, and war. war. Yeah. 
or she's in charge of that, the anger, but then the love. And then mm-hmm. she also, and the magic, which I think is kind of the binder of it I was going to say it tethers it all together. Mm-hmm. And I'm just literally going through my birthing experiences and the, and the births of my clients. And I'm like, I think I could pinpoint one of all of those categories in every single birth I've been to. Yeah. There's those moments of just deep passion and the romance side of labor mm-hmm. where the, the lights are low and the couple is bonding and the sweetest atmosphere. And it can quickly transition into war where that birther is just fighting for mm-hmm. whatever ground she can gain, you know, and certainly magic and all of these other descriptions. I'm just absolutely in love with with this metaphor that you've painted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that a lot of times people shy away and think death is something that is like negative. And I think I've grown to have this fondness for the idea of death. Like it used to be a scary yes. thing for me before I got into birth. That used to be something like it just all just will end. But I've realized that we can, there's so, so much value in creating that familiarity with the concept of death, of understanding that we're going to die. I love there's a quote I'm trying to remember I read. It said, to know someone is to attend a funeral of a thousand deaths of who they were. Oh, wow. Like to know someone really long term is to attend a funeral of a thousand deaths, but also to attend a thousand births of who they become. Amen. And I think that's something that like birth did teach me is that there was a part of me that died and I mourned her. I remember after I had my first baby, that was part of the suffering that I went through. That was part of that darkness and the messiness and the unknowns of like, why did that have to happen is I left that birth feeling so heavy and negative. And then I went into motherhood carrying some heaviness and that made me mourn how carefree I had been. I remember thinking so often, like I, this is so hard. I did not know it would be that hard. What have I done? Like that, <laughs> I would think that to myself. Like I, I feel so chained down by mm-hmm. this, this, this baby who needs me all the time and like I love him and it's kind of crazy how much I love him but man like I did not enjoy life before and am I ever going to have that again that carefreeness like I didn't have a worry in the world I was so independent and free and I thought that quite a bit I had a hard time letting that part of me die yeah and realizing that I look back now and kind of laugh at myself because it's like I see the whole journey and, and hindsight is always twenty twenty. I look back and kind of laugh. I'm like, you don't even know like that had to happen. You don't want to stay stuck in that innocence. Mm-hmm. Like I have grown in so many ways that I cannot name and I still can't put fingers on. That's one of the reasons we're here is because we're trying to. <laughs> um, that birth and all of that did to me. So kind of and. Death having a presence. So I read a book recently that said that if we can befriend death and live, and we know this, like there's the regrets of the dying. Like right before you die, they talk about their regrets. They wish they'd spent less time worrying about money and and all these different things. That if we lived and had it conscious that it's going to end. Yeah. And it could be tomorrow and it could be in 60 years. Yeah. But it would make us appreciate the things that we have now. And make us be more conscious and intentional yeah. with the things we do with our time, right? And that can be very powerful and it doesn't have to be a scary thing. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. something we have to, like you said, it's not something we have to want <laughs> to happen soon. But when we let it not 
be the monster because I feel like that happens with birth as well is that a lot of women think of it as this scary monster mm-hmm. and they kind of just like put it in the back of their minds. Like, I don't, I don't know if I thought birth was a monster. I thought that birth was like this hard thing, but I do hard things. I'm tough. Right. Yeah. But I know, I know women who are terrified mm-hmm. of birth because it seems so alien because we don't fully understand it. And I think that death gets that rap too sometimes. Absolutely. And you're reminding me of a book that I read and I think the title is A Good Birth. Um, I hope I got that right and I wish I could remember the author too. Mm -hmm. It's been years, but she makes that really beautiful correlation between a good death and a good birth. And she compares anybody who has watched somebody die. There is a phrase around that process that somebody could walk out and say, you know what, it was a good death. And maybe the opposite where you could walk out and say that was a really, really hard passing. Mm -hmm. Um, And then she breaks it down like what makes it a good death or what makes it a really difficult one and then kind of carries that over into the birth conversation. That's cool. It's really fascinating. And a big part of it, though, was like the level of resistance to that process. How afraid were you of what was on the other side? Did you view it as the scary monster or do Mm -hmm. you view it as the most epic adventure into the unknown that you will ever go on in your life, you know, and then that was definitely a theme that connected the two bookends of, of life and death. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. I love that. So that's really, that was for me fun to have. There's so much mystery and shrouding and, and unsurety about what Freya was, but that all agrees on that she was this full spectrum, that she was the paradox. She was the bookends Mm. that she carried all of that. And what bound it was that, that magic And I think that for me, and the reason I chose it, one of the many reasons I chose it to be the representation of my business was that I know and I see in every woman that I serve, I see the magic. You see it. You see the magic in birth. It's why we're here. It's why anybody listening, like, I know that's why you're here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This is why you named your new business Doula Magic. (laughs) Yeah. That's why I named it Doula Magic. Because for me, there's something, magic is something that is, it's a, powerful weapon we can wield and it can be wielded there's a lot of bad magic and there is good magic but we all have it and a choice is do we recognize that we have it or do we run from our power do we pretend we don't have magic because it feels scary and big and live small which a lot of people do which can feel safe and it takes a lot to step out of that um but it's there and do we have the bravery to step-by-step allow ourselves to access our magic and to be curious and to reanalyze if we are using our magic for good, if we are using our magic for improvement and to be open to always progressing in that journey of saying, okay, what are, how can I own that a little bit more? How can I get to know myself and figure this out a little bit more? What are my superpowers? Um, What are the tools I have that will help me birth? What are my strengths? Because I don't have to, I don't have to birth a certain way. That's another thing that we're both very passionate about. I know, is that birth doesn't look for us like one thing. It's allowed to have the love and the war. It's allowed to have the dark and the light. It's allowed to have the peace and the complete chaos and uproar. It's allowed to be quiet and loud. I can't tell you how often I've had a client tell me after she's been super vocal at her birth that she feels as though she somehow failed because she had to scream. Mm. and 
how often I have to remind them that screaming is ownage and screaming is power and screaming does not mean that you're out failing of or out of control. Or... It can simply be an outlet, but it can be a powerful way to use your voice. I think a lot of women feel as though it's two-pronged, that women need to be quiet and pleasant. Mm-hmm. It's like the societal programming we have that that's womanhood. And the other is that many birth courses, as good and well-intentioned as they may be, often leave women feeling like there is a certain birth that is a good birth. Right. And that that has more to do with the outcome or the manner than the the way you're feeling or the way that you yeah, showed up. Yeah. You know, yeah. And and maybe it is because there's been so much conditioning. Like the way I like to view this is like, look, birth was over-medicalized. We were at a crisis point in American history. So like I have so much respect for the natural birth movement for for those, you know, early characters in history that started to like swing the pendulum. But here we are 50 years into that or whatnot. And I think that you and I and other birth workers are starting to see a different kind of trauma. It's not the over-medicalized, but sometimes it's the over-idealized, mm. right? And we're shown these really incredible birth uh, videos and photog- um, photographs of really just the magic, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. But Freya reminds us that birth is a lot of things. And magic is one of them, but we cannot leave out the love and the war and what was the other beautiful bookends? The fertility and the death. The fertility and the death. And I think um, you and I, and why we're doing this podcast is we're like, no, we're going to show people that there's actually a messy, dark side to birth, but it doesn't have to be something to be afraid of. Mm -hmm. Because I think if more of us are aware of that full spectrum, then we're going to see a more... um, comprehensive maybe and like holistic preparation so that I don't know, like we just free ourselves up to to experience the whole spectrum of what birth can be mm-hmm. I think that was like the work of my third birth because at that point my second I think I went in with an idealized I like I went in very idealized like I just have to believe and get out of my own way like that mm. was like the pillars I need to get out of my own way and I need to be, believe I like that and to believe in my body trust my body and get out of my own way. Those are like the two things. Two really good mantras. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, I just focused on my breath and I did what I've been told. And it did turn out beautiful, but it could have been hard. In yeah. my case, it turned out really well. And for yeah. me, it was beautiful. But if that birth had been hard again, I would have felt so disappointed in myself. What, what did I not do right in my preparation? Absolutely. What, what did I not do here? What was, and I would how have blamed I, how myself. How did I fail? How did I this? fail at this? Yeah. Right. It becomes a pass-fail situation. We mm-hmm. idealize it. And for my third birth, I at that point had been a birth worker for two years. I had dove in real deep. I knew all the things. And I found that birth to be mentally the most complicated birth Mm. to go into because I felt like I almost knew too much. (laughs) It was as though I had, I would, I would second guess myself when I needed reassurance for the basics. I felt so stupid Mm. for wanting reassurance for my midwife. Yeah. I felt I should know this. I do know this, but I'm. The mother, the mother is still scared and I still, I want that affirmation. I had all these battles going on in me, but the one thing I wasn't really battling about was that I actually felt excited. And I remember with my second birth, I was, I felt prepared 
Mm. I felt like I had something to prove. Yep. <laughs> I definitely did. That's the, like, Katie's ambitious. <laughs> yeah. I felt like I had something to prove. Okay, last time I sucked, but now I understand why. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll now I'm going to prove it. I'll show old Katie how it's done. <laughs> yes, I will. I'll prove to everybody who knows I had a crappy birth that I can do this. <laughs> but the third birth, it was just, like, I just want to experience it. Mm, without, all without all the expectations. Without all the expectations. In my pregnancy, I did so much work. Where it was like, I'd have it come up, what if I have a C-section? I don't want a C-section. Resistance, resistance, all this chatter in my head. And I would take it apart and say, okay, if I have a C-section, then this is my plan. And I feel like I know how I'm going to be supported. I know how what I need to hear. Yeah. I told my husband, if I have a C-section, tell me these things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's a good boy, and I give him lists. <laughs> <laughs> that was the birth. This is what you do. This is what you don't do. Mm. He got lists for me, and he appreciated yeah. it. It was great. And I bet you appreciated it. No, it was perfect for us. Yeah. But going to that third birth, I had all this work I did in pregnancy that I feel like when I actually hit the birth, I had gotten through all of these resistance factors. Like I don't want a C-section because I have a lot of clients who want to birth unmedicated. I just don't want a C-section or a home birth. I just don't want to transfer. And that's the end of the plan is I don't want this thing. And then I, it's hard to pry, but you kind of have to dive into the unknown and say, well, that's not likely, but a possibility. Do you want to just leave it there mm-hmm. as the big scary no? And if we get there, what happens? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. You hit this point where you say, I'm failing, I failed. The one thing I didn't want to do, the place I didn't want to go, I have to go. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you you set yourself up to say, how do I want to feel? How do I want to be supported? In any contingency. In any contingency. Then, and feel good about it still. And then you can own it. I've had clients who end up with an epidural and they don't want one. But when they've prepared this way, you can tell that they say, I know I did what I needed to do. Yeah. I knew what was happening. I knew the options. I pushed myself and I hit the point where I needed an epidural. It's it's basically compassionate decision making. And yes. it doesn't all have to be fixation mm-hmm. on the method or the outcome. But yeah. it's recognizing, nope, I get to make choices moment to moment based on what I need and what I know. And that can look like a thousand different things. But like you said, if my emotional needs are being met, I can have an empowering birth regardless of where this all ends up taking me. Yeah. Powerful. Yes. So like that's the beauty of Freya's. It's all encompassing that birth is not this certain way that we can't deny that C-sections and all of these things are a part of our birth world. They're a part of the way women are experiencing birth and those women deserve to feel empowered and wonderful too. And they can nerd out about birth just like we can. And they Mm -hmm. can, I know wonderful doulas who've had four C-sections and they always start at the beginning saying you disqualify yourself, right? You say, I can't Mm. be a doula. I had four C-sections. I know you did that too. Oh, from the opposite end. Mm -hmm. Should I share that really? Yes, please. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Cause, and in fact, my neighbor that got me into doula work is in that um, community of people who had all C-sections. And she shared that with me, that that was a struggle for her at first. Well, for me, I'd had all unmedicated out-of-hospital births. And I thought, how in the world am I supposed to show up in a hospital setting and support a client? And I have no exposure to this side of birth. And I felt completely ill-equipped and underprepared. And, oh, man, the first hospital birth I supported, I just was terrified that I was going to do it all wrong. And you know what? It was great. It all worked (laughs) out. And I 
had to work through that. So it is a process of realizing that it's not even about the kinds of births that we've experienced as the doulas. It's more like, can you show up and support somebody? Can you hold space? Mm -hmm. Can you help them navigate their unique journey and kind of put your stories kind of on the back burner? Mm -hmm. They don't have to inform every part of your client's experience. Yes. But also having holding that compassion for yourself to know that you will be triggered. Oh, you, you'll go to birth absolutely. and you'll be straight up. There'll, there'll be a finger on your trigger. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you'll walk home and have to kind of pull apart why that was so hard for you to mm-hmm. sit through. Um, but that's part of the beauty. That's why whenever, like I say, when I'm, I'm creating this new thing for doulas and part of my goal is just to help them to know that that's part of the deal is there is magic to be found in birth and feeling inadequate and feeling triggered like that are all invitations. Mm. They're I a hard, that. messy, beautiful invitation <laughs> Totally. to recognize what it is that's bothered you and to put it away. So that you can do something about it. Yes. Yeah. A lot of our things are very subconscious and we don't know that they're going to bother us. We put them out of our minds because they were hard. Yeah. And we hit those situations where something just like something someone says or something that goes on hits us and we go why is this so hard? Why is this making me so emotional? Why why do I feel this way? And to go home and really sit in that curiosity instead of saying what's wrong with me. And also the discomfort of it because it is Mm -hmm. very uncomfortable to be triggered, right? Yes. But that's where the the growth is happening and the healing. Mm -hmm. I think if we 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 were never triggered, yeah, if we were never triggered, we would never see the the areas inside of us that need to still be healed and looked at and resolved. And if we don't run, then we can actually do that work. Yes, exactly. Um, and it's the same with, with birth is that when a birth is difficult, we can ask ourselves why. What was difficult about it? What specifically? Like what were the, was it the way someone spoke to me? Yeah. Was it the way I wasn't able to connect with my body? What, what was it about my difficult birth that made it difficult? And that curiosity can be very powerful. Yeah. We're able to actually look at it with those eyes of, Instead of saying, I was bad, saying, okay, what caused that reaction in mm-hmm. me? What, what made that so hard? And to take it apart a little bit can help us to kind of understand, oh, like there's my pattern that made that hard. That's why I interpret it that way. Or, oh, the way that doctor was made me feel like I didn't have a choice. That made me feel like my power was gone. Um, and that bothered me because I want, I don't want to be in those situations or I've been in those situations before. And of course that bothered me. So I love that. And just to wrap it up, my, my last point with Freya that I thought was really fascinating was there's this big debate in all the online content about, there's another woman in Norse mythology. Her name is Frigg Mm. and there's not much talked about her. Um, some stories say or allude to the fact that she was Freya's mother hmm. and some they think it was Freya herself and she just had different names in different dialects in within the Norse language because it was um, kind of a diverse nomadic so some of them had different dialects um, but I love the idea that there's this one main woman and even if it was and the reason I say she's the same is because she's given the same power okay they have very similar powers hmm. And whether it's her mother herself, I love the idea that it's the men all in Norse mythology have these totally different powers. Yeah. But the women all carry these powers. That, that whether it was herself or her mother, that that was something they had in common. Mm. Whereas like the Norsemen, like Odin's this god of war, and then you have Thor, Thunder, and you have Loki. 
which is the god of mischief, and they have like all these different things, but it's all very different from each other in yeah. the men. But the women have this line of this all-encompassing journey. I love that. Which I thought was really beautiful. And such a spectrum of gifts or powers with, mm-hmm. within that, too. So it's something that, like, links us together through the generations. And then also, like, we're so multifaceted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, it is. And that's, like, when you sit back and look at what it means to be a woman and the beauty of birth and the fact that we can just create other humans like just sitting back for a moment and thinking of how that is our birthright yeah how that is inherent in every woman is that we carry on our species by going through that full spectrum passage because i don't know like may, between marrying my husband <laughs> making a baby with him And parenting with him, we've been through this cycle a lot of times. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's been working on our fertility, whether we're working on not just making people, but our own fertility means potential, right? Fertility Mm. means the potential to create. So working on our own, what do we want to grow? Are we growing together? And how our own, each of our fertility is. Working through the love that we have for each other, the wars that we have because our patterns collide and the magic that can be in a relationship and the death as we mourn things that we thought a partner should be or that we have to stand up to each other to, to show this is how I'll be treated and finding these cycles over and over in our marriage as well, that that's something that I feel like as women, we're more connected to that cycle because it's inherent in our bodies because our bodies with that cycle, we go through it every month. Absolutely. We repeat it over and over. Right. And men don't do that in the same way. And so I think that's another powerful thing about being a woman and something that we've often shroud in shame mm-hmm. um, because it is very mysterious and it is, according to our modern society, messy. Yeah. <laughs> it's a messy thing to, to be a woman, to be on a cycle into birth. There's a lot of messiness. And I think that it's fun and it's beautiful to, to through birth that I, I feel like the messy when I get triggered or when I get into things, of course, it's still hard, but there's this little part of me that's just like, oh, <laughs> where's this going to lead? Absolutely. Like it becomes... I change. I feel like that's one of the big things that's changed my life, is that it becomes exciting. It's a curiosity. It's an adventure. It's like, oh, this sucks, to... but what does that mean? And, yeah. And, and why does it suck? And yeah. and how can that help me grow? Because and that's the reaffirmation that comes. And the reason I'm so grateful for my crappy birth. We've <laughs> yep. talked about this before. Yep. I'm so grateful <laughs> for my <laughs> awful birth <laughs> because it woke me up. Yep. It was. I used to say. My empowered birth triggered this journey, but it was not my empowered birth. I would not have gone down that rabbit hole. <laughs> I would not have awoken that passion within myself if the first birth hadn't happened. Right. I would have continued happily la-di-da if my first birth had been fine. It's like Rumi said that our wounds are where the light enters us. And mm. I, you know, I, I was wounded by that first birth and that is when the light came in. And um, not to say that beautiful empowering birth isn't worth having right and seeking and celebrating but um yeah without the the breaking open we don't know what we're made of yeah it was the the awakening the awakening katie thank you for teaching me (laughs) about the badass freya i know right my life is forever changed (laughs) i'm gonna tattoo little kittens pulling her (laughs) her chariot i want to see it okay (laughs) i'll keep you posted thank you for joining us as we step into darkness 
knowing we will find light.